0: Hit it. Ooh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, oh, oh. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favourite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd
1: Hughes. Today's film is Arrival starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner and we went and saw the film in theatres so uh, if you haven't seen the film just a heads up we do discuss films as always on Podme if you can with spoilers in mind. Lloyd we've covered a lot of alien type movies on this podcast what did you make of Arrival?
0: Ah yeah well have you seen much of the director's previous work? I haven't. I have got Enemy at home like uh,
1: waiting to watch, but I haven't watched it.
0: Yeah, I've only seen Sicario myself, but I've been very aware of Denis Villeneuve's rise in filmmaking. A lot of my favourite film critics have strongly suggested a lot of his earlier films, and I know he's an incredible talent, obviously, from Sicario, which I thought was an extremely well-crafted movie that just brings you into the darkest pit of hell. Don't expect to come out smiling after seeing a movie like that in Arrival he shows his incredible versatility of going into science fiction this is one of the best looking science fiction films out there I think I know a lot of people are bringing up comparisons to Terrence Malick in particular with the flashback sequences of memory and so forth This was shot by Bradford Young, American cinematographer. Other works include uh, Selma and A Most Violent Year. I had a terrible exhibition at Hoyt's extreme screen, by the way. The screen kept slightly flickering as if the projector lamp or sonic was slightly dying. You You didn't really notice it in dark scenes, but any bright scenes, man, it was so annoying. I really should have complained.
1: Having a personal experience in a projection room, that's absolutely what it was oh, was the, it okay, the lamp in the back of the projector they don't last forever. These gigantic bulbs, imagine a gigantic light bulb uh, you have to wear gloves to replace because if you handle it, it becomes weaker yeah the um yeah they they put off replacing those to be honest with you. I was thinking. Um,
0: if I did complain, I would have grabbed you know, the usher with me and they would have come in and it would have been a dark scene <laughs> and they would have been like, I don't see any flickering and I'd be, uh, I would have been saying, no, 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 you've got to wait for a brighter scene to come on then you'll notice well,
1: it. <laughs> I'll give you the scoop. What you should do is complain after the fact because uh, the management teams usually hand out free tickets just to you know, appease you. It's like, all right, thank you for complaining. We appreciate the feedback. Here's some free tickets for your time. Uh, and you get yourself a couple of free tickets. People also ride into cinemas, and when you ride into a cinema, they tend to send you free tickets because it costs them nothing.
0: But no one has ever thought of making a podcast and mentioning it. <laughs> no, I have I love going to Belcon and watching movies at their extreme screen at Hoyts. I think it's fantastic, but unfortunately with Arrival, I had a terrible experience.
1: I had it on uh, VMAX. I went to a, a village cinema, uh, Crown Casino in Melbourne, um, and it was not... Very full, um, but the screen quality, everything, top shelf, couldn't complain.
0: <laughs> what gets me so much about this movie is how dreamlike all the images are. The design of the aliens were really interesting. The spaceships look like Sonic out of a, I don't know, like, they look like a cocoon bug of some sort, just a perfect pod. Yeah, kind of like a Pringle or something, or mashed <laughs> a together Pringle. a few Pringles, yep. <laughs> The aliens themselves, I thought, were very haunting, especially with that dream sequence where Louise sees one in her daughter's bedroom as she's putting it to sleep and she turns and sees it. It's like a quick flash of it. But sonic about that just got to me. Sonic about that squid-like design just waiting there in her urban bedroom, so to speak. What really got me, though, that really eerie moment for me was when the alien was thumping on the glass. I think obviously trying to warn them about the bomb going off or something, there's just something so eerie about that. The greatest strength of Arrival is its methodical portrayal of communication, how it shows this almost clinical breakdown of how we would communicate with a super intelligent alien species. It's, it's a slow story about communication and, and how the world would uh, emotionally and politically deal with the situation I had no idea where this movie was going to go
1: to be honest seeing all the countries interacting like that that's what I've seen tweeted about the most about Arrival it's that like the way the world is and obviously Trump getting a mention now the world needs to unite and this is a great film to unite the world did you think that no (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, they all have to work together. There's that whole thing the aliens have given... There's 12 different ships in random locations. One is in Perth, Australia, by the way. But there are 12 alien crafts, and each one is gifting uh, you know, humanity with a different piece uh, of this kind of code and puzzle. And so they we have to work together. We have to talk to Russia and China and whatever other countries, you know, uh, and put together this puzzle that they're giving us, basically. So it's like saying that if we all get together as a human race rather than continents, you know, there's no barriers between us. We all get this kind of time-travelly gift.
0: You you got all that at the end of the film?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I I understood all the elements of the film, everything that happened, sure. My issue is this felt like a big movie and a small movie at the same time. I'll I'll give you an example. When they very first... The very first time they suit up they go up in gravity and they go down that corridor to the room to meet the aliens as we head up there there's all this suspense building then we get there and we sort of start to see them and then it cuts to after they've had that whole sequence and they're all like whoa did that just happen and you know uh talking about that was crazy pinch me sort of thing but we didn't get to see any of that so it's like all right okay and i th- Initially, I was thinking, okay, there's a budget to this, and it's $47 million, which is probably pretty conservative. They did a lot with that. But as well, sometimes I felt like the scale, like we weren't seeing a lot of stuff... Yeah, uh, small scale as well as trying to be an epic movie. Um, Yeah, well,
0: I I still got that epic scale. Maybe it was because of all the news broadcast. It, It used its economy really well by just going into these media rooms where we see news reports of other alien ships around the world. And really, it's explained to us in diagrams rather than shown. I noticed
1: he's doing Blade Runner 2049
0: next. Yeah, I have all the confidence in the world now. <laughs> I actually think he's going to do a really great job. I mean, if he's going to use that economy, he'll
1: probably stretch a budget even further than it needs to go
0: there was a huge part of me that wanted to see some military aggression to to see some fighter jets attack some of the pods or to see soldiers attack the aliens just to see some of the weaponry or technology that the aliens were capable of but i know this is a very cerebral science fiction film but there was that juvenile part of me that just went i want to see some action man (laughs) the only moment we did see of actual military aggression. There is that bomb that is left on the ship to kill the aliens or whatever, and then a gunfight is heard off screen. We don't actually see that. I didn't believe a military captain would go rogue on Forrest Whitaker or his high-up commands or ta- to take out the aliens. Really, he doesn't know anything about the aliens or what they're capable of, and I know they try to build him up with a little bit of that phone call to his wife and how they're, uh, of course, listening to social commentary on whatever the equivalent is of YouTube in this world. Uh, I just felt maybe that that military attack was a bit unnecessary
1: when you think about when you know everything in the movie and you think about the fact that the aliens they view time as a circle so they know everything in their own life cycle everything that's going to happen from birth to death they you know i guess think about the whole thing as a big picture which is the same way they write with their ink tentacles i suppose (laughs) when they sort of submit that ink out and form a sentence which is looks visually like a circle uh, they have to know how the circle begins and ends the whole time. So they knew that C4 explosion was going to happen. It's Abbott and Costello. They've dubbed the aliens.
0: And one of them dies.
1: And one of them dies. And they knew they were going to die. And they knew exactly how it was going to play out because they knew that was the end of their life cycle. And that's how they think about it. That's that's all it is. And so Amy Adams, sort of, by the end of the movie, for those spoilers again, knows that her daughter is going to die. The whole movie the stuff we're seeing that you think is flashbacks is actually flash forwards a very lost kind of thing to do the fact that she gets the phone number from the chinese boss uh, the military boss leader in the future and is able to say it back to you know to, to do the phone number as well as um knows the dying words because he repeats them in that scene i i had trouble with that <laughs> like why would he say his wife's dying words at a party you know just the way that he passed them back to her so that she would know them uh, as well, that's picked up straight from something else in Lost. There's a fantastic episode in Lost, one of the best ones, season four, The Constant, where Desmond, is his mind is jumping back and forth in time uh, from 1996 to 2004. He can't stabilise his mind, he needs to find a constant, otherwise he basically will bleed out and die. He talks to Penny in 1996 and he says he will call her. He needs to get her phone number so he can call her in 2004 and he won't call for eight years. And it's a really emotional, heart-wrenching kind of moment. She gives her number to him. He just repeats it a few times and he says, and you can't change that number. And she's like, you're not even going to write it down. And then he mind jumps back to 2004 and knows the number and is able to call her. And then it basically stabilizes his mind. So it was like a much more dramatic way of, you know, the, very similar plot elements with the phone number
0: how was that much more effective than arrival
1: in arrival she mind jumps forward and he says hey how's it going here's my phone number it's important that i showed you this right
0: he doesn't seem motivated by her no motivation yeah
1: it's such a desperation and lost because he's possibly going to die and also i don't know why the chinese boss would lean in and say oh and never forget what you told me and then repeat because he knows they were both there the first time through it makes no sense that he would say ah i'll never forget what i'll do with you lloyd ready i'll never forget what you told me lloyd you told me that in the (laughs) darkness and but you were there why do you need to have it repeated to you we both know so i had um i like rolled my eyes at that bit which is kind of an important point to the third act (laughs) Yeah, uh, the time travel, it was fine. Like, I, I get it. I get what happened. I just, I suppose I wasn't wowed by it. I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to have time travel at all. So that was a pleasant surprise.
0: Well, Dave, I'm the dumbest person in the world when it comes to plot. I have to be spoon fed everything in order to get it. I always give this example, but it wasn't until the 5th viewing of The Insider, directed by Michael Mann, where I finally got that it was a story about a tobacco whistleblower (laughs) because I was so taken away with how the story was told and maybe the craft and so forth. Unfortunately, Arrival didn't engage me on an emotional level, although it's clear the movie abandons most of its plot in favour for a very internal and emotional ending and I'm of course referring to the daughter and her husband and it just seems to forget about what's present in the world and what's happening in the world and seems to go into these flashback like sequences and it becomes much more a rhythm Of memory than a rhythm of actual plot. And for me, the movie failed in making me feel anything for Louise or to even care about why or what the aliens were doing because it rushed way too much. About the time when Louise goes back inside the ship and we see the subtitles for the aliens or hectopods is where the film for me. Just sort of goes downhill. They introduce too many things. Louise is figuring out all these very complex codes way too fast. And all of a sudden, she's calling the Chinese military general to stop attacking. My mind was constantly going, wait, huh? Huh? who? 3,000 years? What's the point of all the other ships? Are they talking to an Amy Adams too? Why not just land in Montana? Did they they have to explain to everyone else, you know, that sort of thing? Uh, You'll have to explain to me some of the time travel moments. I did look it up on the net, hearing all these opinions and so forth. So the daughter dies of cancer?
1: Yep. Seems like some kind of cancer, sure.
0: Okay. I thought... It might have been the disease that the aliens were fearing 3,000 years down the line.
1: Something happens over the next 3,000 years that basically affects their uh, their lives, I suppose. We need to help the aliens. There's an implication that humanity will help the alien race.
0: See, that was too brief and too big of a point to just briefly go over, you know what I mean? Obviously, it's a huge, important factor, and it's just quickly said, in 3,000 years, something is going to happen. And I was like, wait, go back. Why aren't you going back to that? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? That was my mindset. So the movie really begins at the point when she's walking into the lecture hall and all the students are going can you put on the news so yep. uh, okay so the beginning when we see the daughter dying is really sort of throwing us off a little bit correct yeah okay, we're supposed sure. to kind
1: of i suppose we'll we'll empathize with her thinking she's lost a child for the whole movie when in fact she hasn't and she she won't for several years
0: i'm one of the dumb audience members who goes oh it was the daughter the whole time (laughs) you know
1: (laughs) i kept wondering who the father was and i wrote that down several times in my notes and then when we knew that was all forward stuff i went okay so jeremy renner is the father because there's no other male characters that she's bonding with uh my problem was though they had no chemistry at all i don't know if that was something to do with the fact that we were watching them solve puzzles together but i just felt like okay there's nothing between them and then like the final line of the movie he says to her you want to make a baby and it was just like the least inviting kind of <laughs> <laughs> wow i realized at that point they're together and they've probably been together some time but yeah so uh the the heptapods need humanity in the future the heptapods well this is interesting because abbott and costello know that in their lifetime part of what they do is they help out humanity and give them the pieces of this puzzle and which leads to us learning about the heptapods Uh, amy adams louise banks plays uh, sorry writes a book which helps the human race learn more about them understand their language then i suppose we become like allies with the heptapods in some way the
0: book is released with the secrets of time travel or the secrets of their language the, the book is released after her daughter's death um, we're not it, really
1: sure are we it's unclear it, it. they sort of implied that it would take a lifetime to learn it all
0: right but she's the genesis she starts everything correct yeah, okay, yeah the right. book
1: she writes helps human the human race like know the language of the heptapod so we can communicate so then, I don't know, maybe they come back in 3,000 years and some people know the language and then we can help them with some issue. Uh, maybe there's something in our DNA. or Actually, the daughter has to die. Louise's daughter, Hannah, has to die. And she knows that and she's going to let it all play out why, that way.
0: Why is that?
1: I felt like it was something to do with the disease. Like through her death, they discover the cure to cancer or something like that, whatever it is, it must be good for the human race and then the heptapods as well.
0: Yes, yeah, some people and critics were describing that they were just crying because of that. She, she makes the choice. Yeah, I know what's going to happen. It's going to end in pain and misery, but I'm going to choose to do it because life is worth is worth that and I'm just thinking about it now there is some aggressive reactions obviously from a husband Jeremy Renner's character leaving her leaving Louise and then there's a harsh reaction from a daughter saying I hate you and that's one of the last words uh, she says before she really goes downhill physically and so maybe she does uh, It's explained to her that she knew she was going to get the disease, so there's probably something heavier than cancer.
1: Yeah, it's possible. Um, It's kind of messed up to know when somebody will die and allow that to happen as well, especially when you're supposed to love that person or thing or whatever. I think the logical person in her and in me sort of, I guess, thought, at some point everything dies, and this way... The daughter Hannah dying is good for the human race and I can she says at one point I'll enjoy every moment up to that moment you know uh, for what it is sort of thing like I mean you know uh some people have a child that that dies uh you know straight away some people have a child that will die two or three or four years old like she gets 12 years from this kid so there is something of a life there and sort of I suppose even knowing that your kid will be safe for 12 years would be a relief knowing when they you know go out to play or whatever, that she sort of starts dreaming like a heptopod, so I guess she can see her own life cycle, so she knows in the end it's worth it, even though she can't explain that to, to Ian, her husband, that it's worth it in the end. You can't sort of see the journey, usually, you, um, you're working on a novel and you're typing it out and going, God, this is annoying and I hate this, and you can't see the fact that it's going to be a bestseller or that it'll be adapted to a movie or... You know, that because you wrote that, you're going to meet your future wife at a book signing. Or if you knew all that was going to happen, you'd write it with a big grin on your face going, when I get through this, the next stuff can happen,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kind of. Yeah, it kind of brings up destiny, uh, almost. Like, how much choice do we yeah, actually all, have?
1: It sounds like in this world, it's all decided. Because the heptapods know the next 3,000 years of their life cycles. By Amy Adams learning their language she figures out her own life cycle and so theoretically it's all right there but I mean this is yeah, this is some some grey area, I suppose.
0: <laughs> I think some people are going to be very frustrated and others will be completely enchanted and believe that they have seen this really mind-blowing film. I personally didn't become invested enough to bother caring or working out what was happening at the end of the film. The beginning of the film was much slower and had a really tense exploration of communication with aliens. And the last part of the film... It just sped up uh, to be a time travel destiny, everything will work out in the end film. It threw way too much at me at that point and it demanded that I invest in the emotions of the main character and forget about the plot. I just personally couldn't go with that. With the other characters, I thought it was great seeing Forest Whitaker in this as well. I think he's an absolutely fantastic actor. You can tell that he has chosen the best people for his job and for this job and trying to satisfy both them and the people above him. And all the characters seem really motivated. The CIA guy, I think played by Michael Stuhlberg, uh, wasn't a straightforward villain. He presented all these diplomatic and political ideas that were very plausible. I didn't find him to be a complete a-hole the whole time I think he's doing exactly what a lot of political agents would be doing in such a situation
1: I found Forrest Whitaker incredibly two-dimensional his acting was fine but as a character all you know about him is he's in charge he's a general I wish we'd seen a picture on his desk or you know he would told a story about his brother and something we know nothing about him he is literally the colonel in charge of the operation and that's a little bit two-dimensional for me i didn't know his motivation you know uh does he care if there are aliens does is he strictly military is he just like it doesn't matter i'm just here and i'm the middle man and i don't give a crap about aliens or is he kind of caught up in the mysticism of it all i i got nothing from him and he was just like i gotta report to other people what's going on like he was just a an information conduit Yeah, you should have uh,
0: fact-checked the whole kangaroo story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, boy, there was a lot of Australia in this. Um, We got the kangaroo story on the aboriginals. We also got... There was an Australian guy over Skype. He was one of the contacts. Yeah, he
0: got blacked out. Yeah,
1: and um, one of the ships landed in Perth. So there was, like, a real, you know, Australian presence. Um, So the soundtrack, Lloyd, I found sort of interesting I, I can't tell if i like it or not but i'll tell you what it sounded like to me and to those who aren't going to watch the film uh you know when they do that thx sound check at the beginning of movies it sounds like boom and it holds that last note <laughs> i kept thinking geez i feel like i'm hearing that over and over again Oh,
0: what i actually really like the soundtrack in this
1: i couldn't decide if i liked it i just that's what it reminded me of <laughs> <laughs> the aliens, their look—I kind of—I uh, would describe it as the root system of a tree, but that at the end of the roots they have these tentacles squid uh, things, kind of, I suppose Triffid-esque. Which I, again, I didn't hate, but I was sort of curious about, you know, how they procreate, how they, um, you know, pass waste, how they see. It just kind of—they didn't have eyes particularly. There was just kind of a clump of solid at the top. I didn't feel like we really learned anything about them. They're quite slow, and obviously they communicate through that ink stuff, but
0: Well, they actually learned how to communicate through subtitles at the end of the film. <laughs> That's
1: right. They became very advanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the door opening every 18 hours because they need to create an environment for the humans was great. Uh I enjoyed the stuff with the canary. I didn't even mind the like the way she was picked up and the incredible loud <laughs> helicopter just to put headphones on to to just to talk yeah like even the the design of the alien ships everything watching the film i kept wondering why the aliens didn't make a move in terms of that juvenile thing where you're expecting them to attack or uh you know start mining the planet for resources or something (laughs) but knowing the whole story start to finish like we do you see why they hang around you know and of course they hang around at the end slightly higher So they can drop that elevator down and get Amy Adams' character to come up one more time.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: And that scene where she does go up on her own, her hair is just insanely CGI and sounds like she's underwater as well. Um, no,
0: as I said, I really like the hectopods design. It really haunted me. It really hit a nerve with me. It's just something about the squid form of them. And I like that idea that they're in that smoky environment. It's almost ocean like in a sense and it's heavenly like. <laughs> um but yeah, it just a lot of people were complaining about the the CG on her hair. It was really bad green screen when she was up there with them. But to be honest, I, I thought the whole design looked fantastic.
1: Yeah, I wasn't wowed by it. Um I guess overall, it was interesting, and I'm glad I saw it. Everything I see, though, everybody loves it.
0: Yeah, it's got but like I, almost a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it's eight point five on IMDb, and there's like thirty three thousand uh, ratings, and that's fantastic. But I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm not in on the joke, even though I saw the film. You know, um, like I didn't mind it. I just wasn't wowed. Yeah, yourself. No,
0: I, I think this is a very intelligent film and I strongly advise everyone to go see it. I really liked a lot of this film and I wish... I would have preferred this film to be an all-out essay on the communication of humans and aliens, which is what the majority of the film was, was this very slow, methodical, clinical breakdown of communicating with these higher beings or if these aliens were to come down to Earth and try to talk to us. I enjoyed all of that. It's just the last part just threw too much at me and it almost seemed like a parachute they were pulling. Oh, let's go time travel. You You know, it all works itself out in the end so to speak. Uh, I just wish they'd kind of dropped that last part.
1: I mean, obviously, I really enjoyed the, uh, the app they made where they could just push in whatever they wanted to talk to the aliens. That was really cool. Yeah, that was awesome. And someone's going to do that when we really have that alien, you know, invasion. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to work on that app.
0: You can thank Apple for that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's got a bit of kind of Terminator to it as well. There's something of a destiny there um, about Hannah's character, and Hannah's a palindrome, by the way, which is, means her name is the same forwards and backwards. So, like, her character has to die, and this has to happen, in the same way, you know, John Connor becomes the leader of the, <laughs> the human resistance. So, I mean, it's it's kind of an art house film. People are going to tell us what they think, too. And uh, they're going to tell us at podmeifyoucan.com or uh, over Twitter. I'm guessing there's a lot of love out there for this movie, Lloyd. It feels that way, based on all these ratings. And a lot of love for the director, and... As you say, a lot of confidence now for Blade Runner 2049. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Uh, my notes, the last thing I'll say is uh, a very long, long drawn out ending montage <laughs> is one of the last things I wrote. So I think by the end, I was just waiting for it to end. 156 minutes, uh, one hour, 56 minutes, rather. Maybe it was a bit long for me um, for what it was. But, um, you know, like I said, I enjoyed it enough and possibly second and third viewings of this this would become a better movie yeah the one I was thinking that would be great to see is Nocturnal Animals Uh, that's the other Amy Adams film that's out at the moment with Jake Gyllenhaal so do you know anything about that? no the characters Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams play he wrote a book about her or dedicated it to her and it's sort of about their relationship and we get to see parts of that book played out and the characters from the book are played by Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams so they play Characters both in the book and in real life. Tom Ford—it's uh, getting lots of nice buzz, and um, we'll see what we can do about uh, getting it on this podcast at some point. It must be interesting for her as an actress to have two movies come out sort of the same week.
0: Yeah, no, I think she's fantastic. She did a great job.
1: Amy Adams is great. I think Jeremy Renner's great. I think there's enough of a ethnic diversity in this film. Like we. Commented on that in Doctor Strange, but you know, they just happen to be the experts in their field here and they both happen to be Caucasian, so that's not the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, well, I just wanted to go on a bit of a tangent here and talk about Star Wars, if that's all right. No, no problems. I love Star Wars. Who doesn't love Star Wars? I mean, that's <laughs> 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, isn't it? <laughs> so recently, Lloyd, Mark Hamill posted a video of shaving his beard. As you know, uh, spoilers, guys, but at the end of Star Wars episode 7 we do get to see Luke Skywalker played by Mark Hamill and now episode 8 is around the corner i'm going to speculate with you lloyd that i think mark hamill luke skywalker maybe gets killed off
0: in the in the next star wars you're talking about in episode, episode eight, 8
1: yeah right because just the posting the video of shaving the beard why would you post that video it's kind of a release for him it's like he's removing the character of luke skywalker he's taking his face and changing it in the video description, it said, haven't seen my uh, chin since May 2015 or something. So it took him a while to grow the beard, you know, for episode seven, I'm guessing. And then is he going to grow it again for episode nine? You
0: know? Are, are they sh- Are they shooting... They finished shooting episode eight? Is that right? And they're in post That's right. It?
1: And so they must be done with him as a character as well. No reshoots required. No reason to keep the beard.
0: Well, he could grow it for ep- by the time episode nine shoots, surely.
1: I mean you reckon?
0: Uh, I don't know. Well, Al's character in Home Improvement, that show, had a beard. And I never knew this. He never actually had a beard in in actuality. They just um, put it on in post, in, in makeup, sorry, uh, before shooting. Um, I, I did not know that. It wasn't until I saw the behind the scenes. I was like, oh, is that a fake beard? So it could be just something like that.
1: I suppose special effects and makeup have come a long way since Home Improvement. So
0: <laughs> They'll just CGI it on. What I, I really don't want Star Wars to do is kill... Luke Skywalker off, similar to how Ben Kenobi was killed off in Star Wars Episode 1. I want to see Luke fight armies of Sith lords. It takes like a whole army of them to bring him down because I want to see modern day special effects, modern day choreography, and utilizing the actor Mark Hamill, you know, so he goes out in like a blaze of glory, almost like uh, how all the heroes went down in uh, The Wild Bunch. <laughs> I want that kind to climax. I really don't want him just to to die, as in passing the torch to the next generation. You know, like, uh, it, it, do you think he's going to get a death like Harrison Ford? Well, that's what I
1: don't <laughs> want. I don't want Kylo Ren to pull the trigger or swing the lightsaber, if you will.
0: Uh, if it's and it won't even be an, a sword fight. It'll just be him coming up trying to talk to him, and then he gets killed. You're like, oh, what a sellout!
1: <laughs> I I don't want it to be Kylo Ren because he's already got the weight of the Han Solo uh, death on his hands. If it's going to be anyone, it'd be interesting if it was Ray or um, John Boyega's character Poe. Not Poe, sorry, he's Finn. It would be interesting if it's Benicia del Toro's new character or if it's, you know, somebody new or or something like that. I I just think you can't have Kylo Ren killing everyone's childhood just to make him a worse villain, you know? Like, um, everybody loves Star Wars, so if this one character comes in and kills, you know, Chewbacca and Han Solo and, like, everybody you loved, you're going to hate him. And we're just going to hate him and not like the movies anymore, you know? So I feel like his death needs to be uh, maybe a warrior's death, like you say. I don't want to see that Ben Kenobi cloak fall to the floor type death. I think it has to be meaningful. Uh, He has to be saving others. He has to be um, saving the day. Sacrifice himself, blow something up.
0: What do you think of Han Solo's death in uh, retrospect?
1: I mean, retrospectively, we did a video where I talked about how I thought that was going to happen. And I thought that it would kill him off and that I thought Kylo Ren would be his son. So as it was happening on screen, I knew it was happening. (laughs) I felt like, oh, I'm right about this. And then as they set up on that bridge and everyone was watching, it felt exactly like when Obi-Wan dies and everyone's watching. So I was like, okay, this is definitely what I'm seeing. This is exactly the same. I think it had to happen. I think Harrison...
0: Yeah, it it was a good death. It was a good death. Yeah, and
1: Harrison Ford wasn't going to stick around for another movie. And also it does now give us kind of... One death is okay for Kylo Ren. It gives us some stakes. But I don't want Kylo Ren to kill Luke Skywalker. And that's where I'm going to leave it. While we're in space, you know, uh, segueing from Arrival to Star Wars there, that's probably suitable, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, uh, the next thing we're going to cover on this podcast is going to be Jason Bourne, uh, Matt Damon's latest uh, Bourne entry. And uh, that also, you know, will feature some chat about Jeremy Renner if you're down for that. Of course, he was in a Bourne spin-off movie. But, yeah, we've, we're have we going to track back, do a little Jason Bourne, uh, which we didn't get to earlier in the year. Uh, we have been busy, of course, with the YouTube channel. Uh, Lloyd, I know you've been digging out all the old um, DVDs.
0: VH- yeah. VHS tapes. VHS too, yeah, <laughs> with
1: all the obscure films with stars. Uh, the next one you're going to see, though, guys, is going to be a Charlie Sheen film. Uh, this is super early. In the uh, mid-'80s, the movie is called the boys next door Charlie Sheen and his buddy uh, who was in Greece too basically they are psychopaths and uh, it's all about what creates a psychopath is it environment is it you know behavior uh, how they're treated in school they're basically kids and they go off on a road trip and one of them is having some very Murderous Thoughts. So uh, it's about serial killers, it's interesting.
0: That looks like a really good one actually. Most of the movies we review on our YouTube channel are terrible. Oh well.
1: I can we've had some awful ones. It's very true. <laughs> and shortly after that, Boys Next Door comes one of the worst ones I've ever seen. So I'll just say it stars Guy Pierce and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but that's on the horizon as well. Uh, If you head to podmeifyoucan.com, you can can find a link to our YouTube channel. You can also find both of us on Twitter. So you can tell me that Arrival's your favorite movie and that after the sixth viewing, you love it. (laughs) Um, I'm wrong. 34,000 people are right. (laughs) Whatever you like. And you can find the links to all our, our back catalog of episodes as well. This is like 180 episodes of Podme If You Can that we've gotten through. So... Uh, very exciting, and uh, we're looking forward to getting towards that 200. I've got some ideas, Lloyd, but I'll probably talk to him, to you about them off mic. Uh, next time, guys, Jason Bourne and uh, Lloyd, a pleasure to talk a rival with you. Hit it. Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com me If You Can. Movie Reviews.